0: We left off last week really with a question of is there anything too hard for the Lord? That was verse 16. Let's read from, or from verse 14. Let's read from verse 16 to the end, and then we'll take it in. This is what we read. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will now go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, "Do you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose that there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it? For the fifty righteous who are in it, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you! Shall not the judge of the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will not. Then I'm sorry. Then I will spare the place for their sakes. The Abraham answered, and he said, Indeed, now, I am a dust and ashes. I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose that there were le- five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy the city for the lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. Then he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose that there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, well, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it for if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place, will you pray with me, please? What a sweet gift it is, Father, to take this time now to open our hearts and allow you the the right to all therapy, all ministry. God, we are in need of your touch. We are in need of your transformation. We are in need We are in need to interface with you, to be engaged by you. And we recognize, God, your plan for us is for good, not for harm. To give us a future, a hope. To bless, not curse. We recognize in this room that there are a variety of needs. There are a variety of places in our walk. Some perhaps thriving in abundance with you. Others struggling right now, trying to figure things out. Some in places of weakness, calling out for hope and help. And God, I know that you, being so perfect and limitless, can meet each one of us right where we're at and speak to every every area of need in this time. So would you please do that? Lord, I recognize just like Abraham, I'm just dust dust and ashes. And, And yet, God, you've breathed life into this being. And now I pray you fill this vessel overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me that I become transparent and you be seen. And overflow out of me that I douse this precious fellowship you bled and died for with your joy, with Your peace, with Your hope. I pray Your Word would burst open and come alive and speak to us individually as well as corporately. I pray that You would today, Lord, just reach every one of us. May we have fun in Your Scripture. May we enjoy Your Scripture. May we truly be in it, and may it truly be in us. And in doing so, God, I pray that You would take each one of us now to that next step in our walk with You. If there are any who have yet to know You, let this be the morning of their salvation. Oh, Lord God, For those who have come to know you, turn us into disciples, from saved to student. And as we grow, turn us into servants, that we would become more and more like you. And the world would see how glorious and how wonderful to behold what manner of love you have lavished upon us, that you would call us your children, your sons. So, Lord, may we truly now delight in you. May we truly now rejoice in the God who rejoices over us. And we've thrown ourselves at the surgeon's table. Feel free to carve and to mold as we now put ourselves upon the potter's wheel. And do your work we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. This is your authority. And I'm so thankful for that. Now let's put it into context of where we are. We are somewhere nearly two. Th- we're basically just as far, roughly just as far on BC as we are right now in AD. We're roughly somewhere near the two thousand mark BC, and there is this man named Abram who had been called in chapter twelve that we saw out of the land of Ur to come to the area of Canaan, as we know today Israel. He took the long way, taking his father, someone he wasn't supposed to take with him, and for that matter, a lot. Someone else who wasn't supposed to go with him. And he instead of going due west where the area is, he heads north to the area of Syria to Haram and then heads down into the area of Canaan. During that time, Abram is on this glorious journey, this amazing adventure of discovery. And please understand, any person who receives the call from God that says, follow me, is going to be on that journey. It's a journey of self-discovery, but even better yet, it's a journey of God discovery. Some things that we'll know in theory that have to become something very practical. Some things that we'll only learn by experience. We tend to use the term here, some of you I'm sure have heard it, the term the fatal cubit. That's that area. Cubit's the distance between the bottom of your elbow and the tip of your finger. That area, if you put that basically where your head is, and I'm not going to hit you, if you did that, you'd find yourself right at about the area of your heart. We call it the fatal cubit because at least in my life, there's so many things that seem like they're here, but they've never made it to a fatal cubit to my heart where the real decisions are made and there is on this journey like abram he has to discover that god doesn't just give these things he is these things and the more that i make god these things in my life the more i find myself satiated and satisfied the more i try to get god to give them to me the more that god's not interested in giving me what he is if really in all honesty what he really wants is for me to be with him in scripture we find this interesting text where it tells us that no one seeks after god there's no one And matter of fact, Romans states the case with the idea that no one's in hot pursuit. So the idea of finding a seeker-friendly, like we want to find those people who are seeking after God. No one seeks after God according to Scripture. That's the problem. And you say, well, what about those people that are like, well, I feel like I'm chasing after? Might I just say, if I could put it in the simplest, and and you're welcome to disagree. This is is one of the few places I'm just going to say. This is my opinion. I think anyone in the world would love the things of God without God. I mean, they'd love the peace, they'd love the joy, they'd love the you know, they they'd love the, the power and they'd love they they love the rest, the things that Christ offers. The problem is, is they t- they'd happily take those things if they were bottled up in a bottle or in a pill or you could see them in a movie or you could discover them or take a course for it. It's the moment of submitting yourself to your creator that things become a pro- problematic. So it isn't that people are seeking after God. They're seeking after the things of God. And I find the reason I say that is in my own life, that's what God is cleansing me of. Every time I learn from him and I draw from him is he's going, look I want to be that. I want to just give that. That's what the world's doing is looking for someone to give it. I want to be that. He is our peace. He is our rest. He is our peace. Ephesians makes that clear in chapter 2. He is our rest. Hebrews 4 makes that really clear. And I realize those things are not just... I mean, He is my life. As Jesus tells me in John chapter 14, in John chapter 11, and in Colossians 3. And Abram's on this journey of discovering... and, And I just want to tell you in your own life right now, you're either going to seek God to give you or seek God to be. And the more you seek God to give you, to be honest, the more impotent your walk's going to be. Because God isn't interested in being the great cosmic Santa. Now, in this text, he's on the road of that discovery. And in that discovery, he's going to discover something, to be honest, quite startling in this text. And oddly enough, it's a part of being his friend. Now, back in verse 14, if you look at that, the situation is that the Lord has appeared. That's verse 1. He appeared, which in literally, the word in Hebrew it means to be seen. So this is a strange thing. That means the Lord was visible to this individual, Abraham. And he's visible to him. It appears as even if, as if Abraham recognizes him, falls to the ground, even though he's with two other individuals who will later find his angels in the next chapter. He doesn't call them my lords. He calls them my lord. One individual he's bowing before. The word, by the way, Shecha, is the first time in Scripture we find that word, and it's the word that is translated worship. It'll be in chapter 22 defined as worship. As a matter of fact, the majority of the time, shachah is used. It is used in regards to worship. Now, with that, in mind, he falls in and, he, and he says, no, if I found favor in your sight, and remember, that was sort of the text primary last time. Is please don't turn aside. Please don't just keep going. Stop here. Please let me provide water for your feet. May I provide food for you? You know, and and, and rest yourself under this tree. And then he runs back to the tent and he tells his wife, "Hey, honey, we got company. Make some food. You know, and go 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 make some cakes. Get some get the best flour, and I want you to go." and make, some, make something really good here. And then he goes and he gets, picks a really nice heifer and he takes that heifer and he hands it to a young man. I remind you, Abram's 99 years old here, but yet we read, he hastens, he runs, he runs, he runs. Which would be fun to watch a 99-year-old man that excited running back. Come on, let's go. Can I make this? Thing? Come on, get the heifer. Give it to the young guy so he could. slaughter. I mean, the guy doesn't want to slaughter the cow. And in all of that, they, and the strange thing is, Abram's seeking to bless God, and I know that that blesses God's heart, but really, God's come there to bless him. And, and, and that's a really key element of all of this. This is never about how much we're going to be able to bless God. The one thing I can offer God that's really just going to jazz his groovy is my surrender. Everything other than that, I want mean, me to be honest, it's the only thing that I'm capable of, of that I am actually have full, full possession of. Everything else is just something he gave me. Now, in light of all of that, here's a situation where they come in and go, now listen, your wife's going to have a son. Now she is classic. She's hanging back at the back of the tent, listening, eavesdropping. And she laughs within herself. And the Lord says, is anything too hard here? And he actually says, so why did your wife laugh? And he's like, you know, you, you know, it's, and here, and here's this conversation. Remember, the Lord's there with two angels, and he's speaking with Abraham. And Abraham now, his, I mean, you're kind of embarrassed. Your wife's back in the tent, and you, you know, and she's kind of eavesdropping. He's like, you know, your, your wife's kind of eavesdropping back there, because she kind of laughed within herself. And he, just before he has a chance to say, she's not eavesdropping, a voice comes from back here that says, I was not laughing, which obviously proves the point. She was listening in on the conversation. And, 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 and then he asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that bounces into this strange text for it. And yet, why don't I just say this? Tell me if this makes sense to you. That faith is two, two issues. And this is the problem. I mean, there is the area of dominion and the area of desire. The area of dominion is in the issue of whether or not it's something God is capable of doing. Now, if you have any relative faith in in God as God is presenting himself in Scripture, chances are you don't have a tremendous amount of trouble with God being able to do something. Isn't that true? I mean, the bottom line is, do you really think that if God wanted to, he could turn the sun into a chicken? If God really wanted to, he could fill this room full of jelly beans. I mean, I, it shows how weird my imagination is. I mean, if God wanted to, you could wake up tomorrow and, you, you know, your bank your bank account could be full of money and you could actually go and buy a house. I mean, or a car could show up. I mean, you know, I'm trying to get something a little bit more practical, you know. He could change the government. He could, I mean, if God wanted to, he could part the ocean and we could walk to, uh, to any place we wanted to. We could walk to Hawaii if we felt like it. If God wanted to, that becomes the problem. See, to be honest, that's where the struggle is. Because if I know that God can do everything, I mean, I know he's capable. The real problem is why isn't he doing it, right? Because the other issue of it is the desire. God, I know you're capable. I know you have the dominion to do this. But do you have the desire to do it in me? And that's the area, to be honest, where the greatest struggle, the greatest fight is fought. Is that true for you as well as me? Because I don't doubt for a moment God could do whatever he wants. I don't doubt for a moment God is limitless in power. He's omnipotent. He's totally, completely, and absolutely powerful. What would you do for me? I mean, and the thing is, I could actually, I have more, does this make sense? I have more faith that God could do it in you than in me. I could look and go, oh, sure, God would do it in Garrett's life. Garrett's a lunatic for him. That's just the way Garrett's built. Of course, God's going to do it in Daniel's life. Come on, the guy's going to hip hop into heaven. And, you know, we expect God to do something. Of course, he's going to do it to land. And look at the charisma. The guy sweats charisma. I mean, we expect that, you know. I mean, come on, you know, God, of course God's going to, I mean, it's just, we, we could go around the room. God's going to do it in mean. I mean, she's going to do it with flair and fashion, but God's going to do it. I mean, but then I'm like, but God, would you do it for me? And that becomes a little bit more difficult. And and I realize that there's one thing to, to kind of go, okay, God, I, I feel like I'm safe on this because I'm not doubting your power. But God's like, but you're doubting my presence in this situation. Now understand, nothing is more important to God. We have to put this point to it, nothing is more important to God than your relationship with Him. Nothing is. Anything that is going to interfere with your relationship, He's not interested in giving you. James tells us, you ask amiss. He calls us adulterers and adulteresses. You know what you don't have, first of all, because you don't ask, but when you ask, you ask amiss that you'd spend it on your own pleasures. And yet, a God, instead of God's pleasure. And the one thing that brings God's pleasure, whether you know it or not, the one thing that brings God pleasure more than anything else is you zephaniah three seventeen says about the lord god that's in your midst he will take great delight in you he will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing have you thought about that this god is a god who sings and what makes god sing is is you we don't read that god looks at anything in the earth he sees the woodchucks or he sees the dolphins swimming and it causes him to see. It causes David to go into some form of you know, some some form of beautiful little melody, uh, as we read even earlier in Psalm eight, when he looks and when I consider the, the heavens and the works of your fingers, the, the handiwork, when I consider the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars that you have made, I start to wonder what is man that you're mindful of. Him? I'm so small compared to this, as David would say. But there's only one thing that makes God sing. And, and that 's you, and, and I think that that's a really brilliant thought in this, because and I think, well yeah, you, of course you us corporately, no, 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 you you individually. The term is emphatic that it's a you individual. What's the last time you thought you made God sing. Now, if you were a human being, as I would imagine you are, what makes you sing? I mean some of you you just you sing because you think you can but but what about I me mean, what just kind of what takes a person who doesn't normally find or, th- or identify themselves as a singer that's not their identity and makes them sing might I just say dare I say the one thing is being in love you know it's like it, or or you're from the deep south and in, in, in America cuz everyone sounds like they're singing there or, or you're very Italian, because hey, hey, and it's all kind, it's all kind of like that. But, but for the average human being, that isn't necessarily a cultural thing. To be honest, the moment you find yourself in love, everything turns into a song, and it gets kind of funny because you get really dopey, and you don't even really care about it. How you doing? Oh, so great. <laughs> really, what happened? I just crashed my car, but hey, it's no problem. Did I talk about that? You know, and then you bring her name up. And it's funny because they'll make their way into any conversation, right? It's like, oh, people are starving to death right now in Zimbabwe. Really? Wow, that reminds me. Have I told you about my girl lately? You're like, well, how does that have to do with starving? Oh, I'm starving to see her. And you'll find a way to bring her into the conversation or him, you know. And the reason I say that is, is that there's this God who, if there's one person who seemed to know in Scripture how intimate this God was with him, it had to be David of all the people. Because, and it was the one person, by the way, who seems to be the guy that seems to respond in like manner. Now, this is the guy who said, one thing if I desired of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Do you realize David never had a house of the Lord? It was a tent. Remember that? David wasn't allowed to build the house of the Lord because he was a man of blood. So he built a tent next to him. He's like, God, if, okay, if I can't build a house, can you just Go camping in my front yard until we can do this. And that was David. And yet, David, well, go to Psalm 139 for a moment. Look at it with me. And some of you are like, ooh, this is one of my favorites. And I'll be honest, it's one of mine too, for this very reason. Now, if you had a skewed version of God, one that just seems like he's angry and rotten, and he is going to, he is, by the way, just, and we'll see that in our text. But if you thought all he was looking is to catch you doing something wrong, this would be the song of paranoia. But it's not. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you know me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar off. You comprehend my my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. Oh, but there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me. That's protection, you know behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Now, first of all, you get the idea that David recognizes this intimacy factor between him and God? And then he just says, and in an American colloquialism, this just blows my mind. My mind is melting out of my ears at the thought of this. I mean, you know all this? It is uncomprehendable. Uh, uncomprehensible. It is so far beyond. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, well, of course you're going to be there. But if I make my bed in hell, you're there too. And if I take upon the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand will hold me. So is there any place you really think you're going to be able to run and not have God meet you there? If you're running from God? (laughs) Okay. Um, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall not be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the night are both alike to you. For you formed my innermost parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the day's fashioned for me, when there was yet none of them. Oh, how precious. Precious are your thoughts toward me. Not how evil, how vengeful, how angry, how frustrated. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Do you get the idea here that David doesn't seem to have a problem with God being this intimate with him? You know, what was God's appraisal of David? He said, this is a man after my own heart. Would you like that title? I would love that title. Well, I'd like you to think of something. If you were after someone's heart, what would you do? I could, you know, try to embarrass someone, Landon. How'd you try to go get Rachel's heart? You know? What did, what was it? Luke, what did you do to? Did you start studying Swedish? Did you shop at IKEA? <laughs> did you get a taste for those meatballs? I mean, you know what was it? You know, I've learned this. If you want to win someone's heart, You take what is important to them and you make it important to you. Does that make sense? And you take what they utterly hate and you tend not to make it a portion of your life. And God looked at this guy, this human being. What made David different than us? And he said, now there's somebody not after my blessings, not after my favor, He's after my heart. Man, if you're looking for the right thing, here's the greatest part. That's the one thing the Lord really makes catchable. It's like, here it is. I'll be honest with you, there will be no one in this room whose heart will be as catchable as the Lord. Let's be honest. We've been hurt enough. We know how to make the road a rough one to get to our heart. You're going to earn it. And the problem is you're going to earn it from other people who have abused that right in the past. And we as humankind have abused the right to come to God more than anyone else could possibly. And yet God has still opened up his heart and said, it's catchable. You want it? It's, mine. it's yours. Isn't that amazing? And the reason I say that is that Abraham now is going to step into an amazing conversation with God. He's going to haggle with God. Here's my question to you. Do you think that God liked this conversation or not? I think God loved it. In the currency of heaven, there is no higher denomination than you. There is no greater valued thing in heaven than you. Nothing. Jesus didn't die for anything else but you. Think about that. The Bible tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like one who walked through a field, which he had already defined in earlier parables. There are seven in that chapter, Matthew 13. He already defined it as the, as the field is the world. And he says someone was walking through a field, saw a jewel so precious that he got rid of everything to get that one thing, this jewel, this precious jewel. Now, sad, there are some that would try to play the role of, the, well, the kingdom of heaven is well. you have to give up everything to obtain. But the problem is the term purchase. You can't purchase the kingdom of God. But Scripture tells us that we were purchased. We were bought at a price. We're not our own. Corinthians made that clear. And if the field is the world, who walked through the world, saw a jewel so precious that he gave up everything? Wait a minute. The only proper place to take that is that that's God walking through the field, which means that the only proper... Well, that's you. That's me. Where the jewel. He walked through the field and he said, You. I will give up everything just for you. That's a crazy thought. And if that is the highest currency in heaven, and we're sitting here pleading on behalf of human beings, do you think that touches the heart of God? It sounds like it's about the thing where you've sort of tapped right into the artery of God by doing such a thing. My question on all this is: How far are you willing to go with it? In verse sixteen, the men arose now and went towards Sodom. Abraham went now to send them on their way. In verse 17, the Lord then says, and we don't even read who he's talking to, more than likely the father, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I have known him, for because, for, I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord, to do righteous and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, and then what's interesting is, this seems to be the prayer, and then he turns around and goes, okay, I'm going to tell you what's going on. Which appears to me, that means that the father, whoever it was that he was asking, said, go right ahead, you should tell him. Should I tell, should I tell him, should I tell Amber what's going on? Should I tell him what I'm about to do? You know, because... All right, Amber, this is what's going to happen. And you get the idea here that, well, well what was this because, first of all? And, and, and what's the result of it? Well, interesting, because what he's going to do is he's going to tell them what he's going to do. And I can't help, but I'm immediately brought to John 15, because in John 15, Jesus turns to his disciple and he says, I no longer call you servants. Do you remember that? Do you remember what he says, I call you now? What does he say? Does anyone remember? Yeah, I call you friends. Do you remember why? He says, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. He says, I call you friends because I'm going to let you know what I'm doing. I mean, a servant doesn't need to know what the master's up to. He'd like to know what the master's up to, but in the end of it all, he needs to know his role. But he goes, I'm going to make like you more than that. I want to make you friends. I'd like you to know what I'm about, what, I'm, what, what this whole thing is about. And, and now in that, I, I kind of look at this and I think, well, wait a minute. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And this man now, this man Abraham is speaking to this person. You can see that's the Lord... And he's speaking to him like a friend. Well, this is what he says. Why? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Because since, one, Abraham will become a mighty nation. That means I already have a fruitfulness planned for him. This person is going to be fruitful. Second, the entire world is going to be changed by him. Notice what it says. All the nations of the earth, or peoples of the earth, or families of the earth, will be blessed by him. Now, th- Understand that anyone in the world could pretty much be a world changer to some degree. And you could go and kill a bunch of people and be a world changer. You'll change a lot of lives for that. But to be a world changer in something eternal, well, that's a pretty radical thought. Now, please understand, you need to recognize this. Only, only human beings have the, the power, and for that matter of I just say only Christians have the power To do something good for eternity. Think about that. I mean, we can try to save a woodlands. That's nice. We can recycle. That's nice. We can polish up our neighborhoods. We could be kind to other people. We can feed the hungry. We can help people that are in poverty. Those things are nice. But the problem is, and again, I'm not saying don't do those things, but they are all temporary as sad as it is. But there are only one group of people on the entire planet who have the possibility, the capability of changing eternity, and that's us. I mean, we're all born sinners. We're all born slaves to our sin, by nature, children of wrath. Somebody's got to rescue them, and we're the only ones throwing life rings to drowning men. Or are we? Because truth be told, we are the only ones who have the capability of making an eternal difference in the life of the people we save and we claim to love and we claim to be friends to. And he looks and he says, shouldn't I let this guy know what's going on? After all, I'm gonna, should I treat him like a friend? After all, I have a call in his life to change the world. But do you think that call was unique to Abraham? What about you? There's only one thing in Scripture that we read is the power of salvation, the power to save human beings. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that cure for the universal terminal illness of humanity is something you hold in your hands. That the Lord Jesus Christ died according to Scriptures, was buried dead three days, was buried, and then rose again, according to scriptures, and then was seen by a whole lot of people. That's First Corinthians 15, as the gospel was clearly defined. That's it. It's not very difficult. You don't even have to convince people. The scripture says the Holy Spirit is the, is the one who will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Your issue is, are you going to throw the seed? I mean, one thing, you can keep the ground from growing. All you have to do is keep throwing, from throwing seed. Well, what if it doesn't all grow? It won't if it stays in your pocket. Safe to say, unless you're going to put some dirt there. But truth be told, if you're throwing it, some will grow. And that's a whole lot more than none. And in this, he looks and he says, shouldn't I tell this person because I have a calling of fruitfulness on their life and they're going to touch the world. Look at I have no delusion of grandeur in the sense of thinking that God's going to use me to change the world as if that was my issue. I have a, I have a, a complete clarity of who the big person is and that's God. I'm a tool in his toolbox. I do believe he's going to change the world through me and you. I do believe that. I don't dream small. I've never been a small builder. I've been the kind of person. I'm not like a little, you know, I'm like, okay, this isn't going to be a little building. This thing's going to reach to the heaven. This is, let's plan, let's build Rome if we're going to build something here. I've always been that kind of person since I've come to know Christ. And when the Lord says, look, I want to use you to touch someone. And they think, how many people do you think the Lord's going to use you to touch? I think the world. How? I have no idea. That's not my job. I'm a tool in his tool belt. Pull me out when you need to and we're let's go for it. And you know what, that's not because I'm anything cooler than you, smarter, more talented, or anything more than you, or even older than most of you. Truth be told, it's just because the God that does huge stuff, does huge stuff. He's an extraordinary God, and I'm an ordinary thing in the hands of an extraordinary artist. I'm okay with that. How about you? But you won't be finding much kind of action if you're not going to be willing to, to stand up when the bugle is blown. Just be available, beloved, and watch what God does. Now, in this case, God here's the Lord. This is the Lord saying, you know what? And what would it be like to hear the Lord say, because, you know, should I talk to Clive about this? Because, you know, Clive's got this amazing call, and it's like he has yet to discover what's going to happen with him. Clive hasn't stepped into it yet. You know, and I'm not speaking prophecy. I'm just going hypothetical here. You know, but man, I mean, the entire world's gonna get touched. They're gonna put one of those like blue plaques on a wall somewhere on the outside in London. They're gonna say Clive lived here. You know, I. Mean, you know, people are gonna drive by and they're gonna get the shirt. You know, with your face and the hat and the, you know, and the yeah. And you're like, I, you know, I touched Clive. I saw Clive. I mean, that you know, and it's like, what? You oh, come on. I'm just a little guy that didn't have any kids from Ur. God's like, yeah. So what? Somehow are you thinking it's because of you? Believe me, I'll account it as righteousness, and let's get to work. But then he says, "No, notice, there's more than that. And that. That would be enough, wouldn't it? But he says, listen, and this is my favorite part of it all, verse 19. I've known him. Well, doesn't God know everyone? Well, there's a difference. There's a difference between to know something by perception and to know something by experience. I mean, I can tell you all kinds of stats about this or that. If we wanted to study some sports character, I know people, I mean, there's some people that that knew more stats about people than they know. There was a time back in Central Coast, several years ago, when we were in a band, and the band was kind of doing something kind of funky back then, and there was this particular kid, he was 14 years old, and he was running around telling people how he had taught me how to play guitar, which is interesting, because... In all honesty, I had been playing guitar longer than he'd been alive. So that was a supernatural act then. But nonetheless, but he, and he really knew like a lot of things. I mean, it was amazing how many facts. And he happened to be the nephew of a recording studio guy that I had worked with. And he came up to me one day and he and was talking. And, and there were a couple of people who know kind of the situation. And he walked up to me and I'm like, hey, so I heard you taught this guy to play guitar. And he's like, yeah. And he's going off and off. He has no idea I'm the guy he's talking about. And I thought it was such a remarkable moment because though, and he was rattling off stuff that I was like, to be honest, I could have used him as a valuable resource because I'm not good with details. I could have said, hey, you know, what was that date again? But, you know, and, and then in the end of it all, and then somebody finally came up to me and went, hey, Tony, how's it going? And his face just turned sheepishly white. And then the reason I say that is he knew a lot about, but he didn't know me. And, and that's not because I'm anything any more extraordinary than any of you. But in the end of it all, the Lord doesn't want to know about you. He knows everything about you, but he's not interested in your statistics. He wants to know you. He wants to know you intimately. He went, To be honest, it's sort of like saying, I want to have some memories with you. Is that all right? I want to do some things so that we can actually sit back one day and laugh about something we had that we were together on. To be honest, those are the kind of moments that really make intimacy. And there are going to be people, according to the New Testament, that they, they actually... They knock and they say, Lord, Lord. And he's like, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You've never done what I said. How, why would you call me boss and not do what I say? Don't you find that strange? And then he's going to say the strangest thing. I, I never knew you. And, 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 that's, and you kind of go, well, God, you know everything. But can you imagine having the Lord stare you in the face and saying, have, have we met? And you're like, uh, uh-oh. And that's the point of it. It's like, I don't want that. I don't want there to be a point where the Lord has to in any way search his mind for some event. Well, I went forward at an altar call when I was six. And let me tell you, I was there with Billy Graham. And he, he sp- I was so close, he spit on me. That's worth something. And and I sang, come as you are. And oh, and I got it. I still had that Gideon's Bible. I haven't opened it. Look, it's in perfect condition. It's in mint, you know. And then in the end of it all, the Lord's like, wow, did we ever have any encounter? To- oh, what? You know, you're going to find people like that. You're going to find people that are like, you know, I was baptized. I was I've met, by the way, 75, maybe 80 of the original 25 from Calvary Chapel, which that doesn't work out mathematically. We recognize I was part of the original 25. You went about 80 others. And oh, and I was baptized in the spirit in 1970. I don't care what happened to you in 1970. Where are you at now? That's the guy who's scouting girls, but I was married 10 years ago. I don't care if you were married 10 years ago. Then you need to be married right now because you ain't acting like it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, That touched a nerve. Now, Now listen, beloved, beloved, the Lord is not interested in us just having His stats. He wants to make memories with us. I want you to be able to tell me how the Lord carried you, not just that the Lord can carry you. I want you to be able to tell me how the Lord is your peace. Because to be honest, for a person who's going to hell out there, and the best they have is is drugs to make them feel a little less anxious, that's the best peace the world has to offer is a sedative. And you say, I have the peace of the Lord. If we're going to be a witness... You can only be a legitimate witness if you've personally encountered something. Otherwise, you're not a legitimate witness. Let me ask you something. Sincerely, sincerely, if I were unsaved, and I'm proud proud to tell you, that's a weird way of saying I'm proud to tell you I'm not not unsaved. Um, If I were unsaved, and I were to come to you and say, I'm really looking for peace, could you give me testimony in your life of what that really means? Christ's peace. Because all of your theory isn't going to mean anything to me if you can't give me the real deal. Isn't that right? Joy. Are we, are we aware of the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness being circumstantial? I remember when I found that check or I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a 20 and I, I had joy. That's not joy, that's happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. To be honest, joy will be most clear when you have nothing to be happy about. And to be honest, those are the moments we want to avoid the most. And to be honest, those are some of the most powerful moments of testimony in our lives. Let's be honest. Because the unbeliever at a moment, like that's going to look and go, okay, buddy, let's uh, see you cough up that joy now. Because it doesn't mean anything until now. You're like, and you know what? You know why I know that? Because that's what Satan did in regards to Job, right? And don't you think he's telling the unbeliever the same thing? Well, of course, they're happy. Look at how you've blessed them. I mean, for goodness sakes. He's got a nice family. He's got a nice house. He's got... Look at the payroll and the car he drives and strip all that. He'll curse you. Now, I, I would not. Who wants to volunteer for Job's role? I wouldn't. But in the end of it all, if you are in any particular position like that and you're going through it and people are sniffing you out at a moment like that, I think they should be. And you realize the reason they are. So they're like, OK, let's see if this joy thing you talk about is for real. Does that make sense? And understand that what the, world, what the world is looking for is something transcending. I don't even think Harry Potter reached out so much. People are starving for power, and they think that that's where they can get it. And we're like, we have the power of the Lord, and they're like, well, what does that look like? And then they'll see a bunch of Christians, and what do we do? We all complain about the world. No, I just hate things. Things are so awful right now, man. I just God, God killed the government, and God just said and changed the taxes and all. It's like, wow, yeah. Joy of the Lord all coming out of you like sweat, let me tell you, right? Who wants to join that group? Power of the Lord. And we're like, oh, I'm just dying in my sins. And the world is, and we're like as emotionally unstable as everyone else. And we're on this roller coaster and the world looks and goes, well, you don't. I mean, let's be honest. If the world really took you and dissected you, would they be convinced that there's anything you possess that's any different than the world? Or me? And yet God says about this guy Abraham, I'm going to use him to touch the world. And I know him. I know this guy. Do you know the history we have already? I mean, do you know? I I could stop right now. I mean, I know him well enough that Abraham seemed to, well, he seemed to recognize me when I walked by. I think he knows me too. But then he says this. And notice what it says in the text. And you can see why we haven't gotten very far in the text. He says, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him for these things. That they keep of the way of the Lord, number one. Number two, to do righteousness. Number three, to do justice. So that I can bring to pass what I've spoken to him. So that the Lord may bring to pass. Bring to Abraham what he's spoken to him. Now, keep the way of the Lord. By the way, this is important. The word keep, the word shamar, again, the word means guard, to hedge in. And that's really key because the whole idea of this is, he goes, look at, I know him. We have enough memories and I want him to know me well enough so that he can actually hedge in what's the right way. Well, what's the right way with the Lord? It's a way of intimacy. It's a way of walking with him intimately. Not just knowing about him, not just going through empty rituals. It's about really knowing him. And then he goes, and then I I want him to teach his family that. How many times in Scripture do we find some guy that seems like a mighty man of God, but his kids are punks? I'm like, now how in the world did Samuel have kids like that, or how did Eli have kids like that? And he even names them. If you look at these guys, Hophni and Phinehas, the kids' names mean puncher and serpent mouth. What priest names his kids puncher and serpent mouth? I mean, even if his mouth did, if he was like, I maybe mean, he was like looking like that at the kid, we're like, we gotta name him something other than that, honey. We're a priest. So I can't name him serpent mouth. to name him puncher? Really You're gonna name him puncher? And I realize in that, it's like, ugh. And he goes, look, I want him to teach his kids. But you know, there's something about teaching your kids, well, children, I want you to learn. Here are the doctrines and standards, and here's all of my methodology, and here's my systematic theology. Here it is, learn it, and take it and test it. And then there's another thing to be able to say, can I tell you about how the Lord did something ridiculous in my life? And after a couple of those, I've learned this with my own kids, they start looking for them now, which is a really healthy thing. They're like, so? And they'll they'll trouble you with this, if you notice that. Because what will happen is, you'll start, some situation will happen, they'll go, well, Dad, they're there. We're in one of those situations again. How's God going to step into it? And you're like, I really don't know, but I bet he is. And you know what the cool thing is? We're going to have that memory now. You know what's really cool? This is, our, like, dude, this is our first year. We started Sundays, the first Sunday of this year. Are you aware of that? You're here for the first year. Do you realize what God's going to do? I don't I know it's going to be cool. I know he's going to reach this world and we get to be a part of it. And you get to watch me grow. I get to watch you grow. We have intimacy with that. But then we get to watch how the Lord steps in in all of this. And we get to sit back and laugh and go, remember when we met in a nursery and we had to walk under the flags and we get the Will and Kate blessing for a while. And there was the cupcakes in one corner and the autumn leaves in the other. And there's that, whatever that girl is, eating something, hopefully not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, And we're like, remember that? I had to play drums behind a shield that would look like a British flag. And Remember those days? And it's like, these are the things that will endear us later on. And it's like, but you know what? I want you to recognize, hold me to it sincerely. I'm not here to just sort of rant and rave. I'm here to grow with you. And I want to show you the joy of the Lord. And I want to show you Christ's peace. And I want to show you what it means to hope in Him when there's no other hope. And I want you to hold me to that. And God says, because if you'll pardon me for saying scripturally, you're kind of my kids that way. And then I have a responsibility to that. And so should I, should I teach him that? And then he says, to teach him to do these two things, by the way. And here it is. And then we'll get right into this debating thing at the end of this. To do, ju- to do righteousness. And by the way, that's so fundamental because the word righteousness is the word that simply means to be right with God. How do I stay right with God? Well, there's one thing he wants that solves everything. He wants my love. When I ask, if there's one thing that I have to do, what is it? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what God says. He took all of the commandments and he says, now in Deuteronomy 6, can I put it all in one thing? This is what I want from you, your love. And you're like, well, what about my time? What about my bank book? What about my friends? What about my... God's like, look, if I had your love, we won't be debating over any of those things. You're aware of that, right? I rejoice over you because you have my love. I'd like you to fall in love with me like I have with you, and the other thing then it says, and to do justice. And the word there, mishpot, means to be good, to have good judgment. In other words, to make good choices. So what I want in the end of this is, is a, I want this. I, I, this is the plan I have for Abraham. I have this plan for him that he's going to teach his kids what it's like to walk with the Lord, right, and to make good choices, to stay there. So should I tell him? Okay, and let me tell you then. All right. Well, here it is, Abraham. You need, to know, you need to see another side of God. What side is that? The side that don't put up with it. I figured that would happen at this moment. That's all right. Listen. There is an abuse of grace that happens in the contemporary church of God. That says it doesn't matter. God will just forgive it anyways. I'll just do it and not worry about it. There is a very popular contemporary singer that's out. Breaks our hearts. We remember her back when she was Katie Hudson, uh, back in the central coast of California. Um, This teenage singer had this Christian. We still have it. uh, Bright voice, very energetic, a bit out of control as a teen that um, was really tired of doing that and changed her last name to Perry and went out there and really started doing some pretty crazy things. But she was interviewed recently by a couple of people in regards to this issue of the Lord. Didn't you start out as this gospel singer? What's up with that? And she just said, basically, well, that's I always got it there. I can return to it anytime I want to. And my heart breaks. And I'm reading this text and I realize that whether we like it or not, God's real and God has a side that punishes. And He deals with ardent absent running from uh, ardent absolute running from him and and whether we like it or not may i just make it really clear there is a real hell and he doesn't want you there let me just make it as clear as i can this will not be the kind of place where there is a gray area now you'd say well how could a loving god make a hell well let me just tell you this if everything good belongs to him And God doesn't want to spend his time in hell. And he wants you where he is. Why would he put anything nice there? For you to say, how can a loving God make a hell? I would tell you, how can any intelligent human being go there? God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you so you didn't have to go there. He he died for you. He rose again. And this is Jesus saying, you want to go to hell over my dead body. And I'll raise up while you're trying to step over it just to keep you but I am not going to force you into heaven. It's like the invitation is there. All that God is asking is for your accepting his gift and surrendering to him and his love. What part of that is difficult? But it tells us, by the way, in Romans 11, 22, it tells us to consider the kindness and the sternness of God. And you're like, are you trying to threaten me into hell? No, I'm trying to love you into heaven. Hell's already where you're heading if you don't want them. I'm here to beg with you and to plead with you. Don't go there. A loving God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves. A loving God sends you to heaven. And in in Matthew, for what it's worth, consider this and search this on your own and make this decision yourself. When Jesus, we read, that there is a day when all will stand before the great judge and he will separate it as a shepherd does the sheep from the goats. And then there will be those that will be sent into eternal damnation and those that will be sent into the kingdom. When he looks at those that are going to where where God, where God God's love is, where God's presence is, he says, go to the place that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Well, that's what he said. He says, I built this place for you. But when he looks at those that he's going to send to damnation, he doesn't say, go to the place prepared for you. He says, go to the place prepared for Satan and his angels. Because You can see, and I'm I'm sorry that there's a a row here, and this is not in any way prophetic, but it's as if God were saying, look at I built this place for you, let's go. But then he looks at the other group and he says, I didn't build this place for you. This is not where you're supposed to go. This is not where I wanted you. I died for you, so you didn't have to go there. Don't go there. Please you're like, well, it's awful. God's just good, then it makes your choice easy, right? Here's the most amazing thing. There are people who will not submit themselves to God and still go there because they, would, they don't even care how horrible it is. And they're like upset with God that it would be horrible. But to be honest, God should be upset with, how dare us be upset with God, the creator of everyone, the creator of all things. Do we really have the brass to stand before him and go, you know, I don't like the rules you made. Do we really have that in us? Shame on us. If God wanted to make us slaves for the rest of our life, he's our creator. He has the right to do that. But he didn't. He issued love. That's not something he had to do, but he did. How dare I take advantage of that in some sick way? And God looks at him and He goes, look, at, if you're going to teach your kids, Abraham, you need to let them know. That I don't put up with everything. There comes a point where, listen, well, you're just they're not into it. And the 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 axe just get, takes it to the roots. Now, look at I don't want that for you. But you know what? I'm saying it because he doesn't either. He loves you. He wants you. Well, if God loved me, he wouldn't let me go there. Look at, God is not gonna let you not have anything to do with him. And then let you into heaven as his enemy. What part of that makes sense to you? Because if he lets you in there as his enemy, it's not going to be heaven for everyone else, including him. He died for you so you could be with him. And he looks and he goes, the cry of this horrible city, and he doesn't call it horrible, I do, has reached my ears. Now, Who who cried to God about it? Was it Abraham who cried about it? Was it Lot? I can tell you this. In Second Peter chapter two, it tells us that righteous Lot's soul was vexed living there. The Bible makes that clear. It doesn't say that he had any influence there, but it does say that he was really troubled there. It really he, he felt oppressed is the term. Was it Lot? Somewhere down the line someone cried out and said, Man, this place just stinks. God save us, deliver us from this place. And so, and so he, God's like, well, doesn't God know everything? Couldn't God just go, well, there you go. But you know what? God's going to have one experience with this place so that you can, we can all look and go, well, at least we see what it's like. And yet there's going to be the two angels that actually are the ones who are doing the bidding. But as he does this now, Abraham gets into this conversation with God. Now, Abraham knows of one person or at least one family that's there, and that family's his own. And that's Lot's. I don't know. Do you know whether he even knows Lot to be righteous at this point? Do you think he looks and goes, well, surely Lot I mean Lot's gonna be safe, right? But he does plead, and, and this is this is the heart of God. He looks and he says, Listen, um you're not gonna destroy this place with everyone, are you? I mean, if there's someone righteous, are you gonna kill the righteous too? I mean, what if there were fifty righteous in this place? Would you kill it? And God's like, no, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm I'm not going to kill the righteous. And he says, far be it for you, the judge of the world. I mean, once you judge rightly, you're not going to, I mean, the righteous aren't going to die like the wicked, are they? That doesn't sound very fair. That's not the case, is it? I mean, are you going to do that? And he's like, look at Abraham, don't worry. I'm not going to kill it for 50. And then Abraham goes, what about 45? No. What about 40? No, I won't. What about 30? 20 10 would you i mean would you destroy the city for 10 righteous people no no, no I, I wouldn't notice the last verse it says and when he finished talking with me left." who stopped talking Did you get that is there a part of you that wonders what if abraham had said five what if he had said one I mean, there's this weird, awkward moment, right? According to the text, what that means is there's this debate. Well, what about 10? T- what about 20? No, I won't. What about 10? No, I won't. Cricket, 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 cricket. Okay, uh, I'm going to go now. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going. Do you think God wants to leave in a moment like that? Okay, so I'm praying, right? All right, Lord. What if he had said five? And the Lord brings me to this verse, and I'm sincere. My eyes tear up as I read this. Can you find Jeremiah? Go to Jeremiah chapter 5, please. Sound. The sound of you flipping in your Bible to check on me. I'm assuming you're not flipping to the maps or something like I don't know what happens when it just becomes all digital. I love the sound of your foot, your foot, your thumb going like that on the screen. Read Jeremiah 5 1 with me, would you please? Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, and seek upon or open places if you can find. Amen. If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Did you get that? Jeremiah five one. What would happen if there was one righteous? What would God do according to this? Spare. If there was one who actually. Sought the truth who executes judgment. And he would have spared it for one. But isn't Lot righteous? But apparently, and we'll talk about this next week, there's a big difference between just being right and having influence. And what I've learned is, if there is righteous with influence, the town is safe. If there is righteous without influence, he's going to yank them out before he does it. And he has that habit of doing so. And it's interesting because when he talks about the end times, the church will cease to be effective. In other words, the church may be righteous but ineffective. And as a result of that, God's going to yank it out before he pours forth his judgment. And he has already set that up as standard. If we were just learning our doctrine as we were going through Genesis and we'll get through that next week, God has already made it really clear how he works, how he operates. Now here's my question to you. Where's your heart as we bring this to a close? Ezekiel 22.30 says this, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I would not destroy it. And Ezekiel, God says, and I found none. And Isaiah 59.16, He says, I sought, but there was no man, and I wondered because there was no intercessor. In other words, God was, in, God was amazed that of all the people who claimed to be His, there was not one, one, one individual who would stand among them and say, God, Deliver these people, I beg you. Isaiah sixty three four says, The days of vengeance are in my heart. The day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. In Psalm 106.23 it says, Therefore, speaking of Moses and his intercession, He said that he would destroy them had not Moses chosen and stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. And you go, well, did Moses really steer the heart of God? God knew what Moses would do. And you can argue on either side of that. But the bottom line is, let me ask you, are you a a gap stander? Are you a gap stander in your family? Are you a gap stander in your friends? Are you a gap stander in this country, in this city? Because this city needs gap standers. People who will stand there and say, God, please don't destroy this place because I beg you make instead make me effective, make me fruitful, make me the kind of person that this community can turn and see you in so much that they would cry out to the salvation of their God. They are chasing after horrible counterfeits, sorry substitutes and in replacement that God, I beg you deliver this nation and use me to do so. Is there anyone other than me that's willing to do that? I'm going to do that. I've been doing that. And I tell you, that doesn't make me anything other than what God wants us all to be. He wants us to be gap standers. Or do we get that point where we're just like, fine, let him fry, like Jonah. who doesn't seem to be a hero much in Scripture, even though used by God. Listen, there's a difference between having your heart broken for someone Versus having your heart broken from someone. And you can make the choice. I humbly set before you, let your heart be broken for someone and not just by someone. will the world break your heart? Of course it will. They'll steal, they'll cheat, they'll use, they'll do whatever. They size you up and see what you're worth and then spend you. That's just the way it is. But let your heart be broken for them, not just by them. I mean, when I look at the person and I see them and I know that they've been out there for at least a year and a quarter that we've been here and they've been on the, pretty much in the same place asking for money and I'm out there and I'm like, man, how do I help you? And they like, leave me alone with your dumb Jesus stuff. And I can look and go, well, fine then. And I'm, I don't want to. I want to look and say, oh, God, what is it going to take to change this man? Because apparently they're not broken enough yet. But then I look at the person and they're good looking and they're charismatic and they've always been getting away with a smug, get by on their smile and they're in the same situation. They just don't know it because they're not on the street. And I look at them and go, God, how do I get to this person? How do I get to that wealthy individual who thinks they're fine because they drive a Lamborghini? Or how do I get to the person over here that is going to get drunk again tonight and and play roulette in regards to any form of STD? And I look at all of that and I think, how do I get to these people? And then the Lord reminds me, look, you can't save anyone, Tony, but you can be available. And I want you to know that blesses me. All right, Lord, I'm available. And then I'm telling you what, there are nights I walk the streets and I'm praying, Lord, just run me into whoever you want to run me into. And there are nights where I feel like I, I, I feel like every time I take a step, I run into someone and I'm sharing the Lord with them. And then there are other nights I feel like I spend the whole night walking like some creepy guy around the streets praying for people. And well, there's that guy again. And I'm just like, all right, Lord. And I'm like, and I probably look pretty crazy because I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm there are times I'm even, my mouth's moving. Lord, please. but I, I mean, from far away, i probably just like. Oh, 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 oh. And then it's like, can you imagine that I come up to you? Oh, 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 why don't you come to church with me? You know, and you're like, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, oh. But it's, you know what, There's, in the end of it all, I still go to sleep at night going, Lord, please save these people, and, and, and I'm okay. I'm okay, because we're, we're okay, right? As long as we're okay, I'm going to trust you, because I, I remember you're the choreographer, you're the author, you're the blocker, you know how to put things into place, and, I, and I'm just available, put me in whatever position you want, coach. Are you good with that? Because if you are, you might be amazed at where he puts you in. Here's a guy, last thing, and we'll pray. Well, make, supposedly the last thing. Um, there's a guy who isn't even, from my aware, walking with the Lord. But somehow, we, we've talked a few times, he works in the market stalls. And people are already persecuting him for being a Christian, even though, I guess he was raised in the church, but he really hasn't had any kind of walking. And, and I'm like, bro, you're already getting hit and you're on the sidelines. You might as well play the game. Come on, I mean, you know, at least earn something out of this. I mean... You know, the difference between being, a, you know, between like life and, and a game like, like, like American football or rugby is at least in the game and, you know, just the game being played, you only get hit on the field. But in life, you're going to get hit anywhere. So you might as well at least be suited up and go for it. And I'd like to be running with a ball in my hand when I get clobbered. At least there's something that goes, all right, cool. Did we get something? We score anything? Did I get past the try or not? But I don't want to be the one that has to go home and go, you know, why Why'd you get that sore in your ribs? I got hit while I was sitting on the bench. There's no pro, There's no joy in that. You know, wow, wow. And, and so we want to pray for this particular agent anyways. So <clears throat> I want to pray. But can I pray for us that God would break our hearts for people? I mean, for people, not stuff, but for people. And in it, that we would see the love of God so profoundly and demonstrate it. And if you don't know that love, I'd like to invite you today to to actually become a brand new creation in this room. God is going to do the biggest, most radical miracle in your life that anyone has ever experienced. And that is take a person who was going to hell and transform them like that. And that could be you at a simple surrender to say, all right, Lord, I accept your gift. Be my Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this text. I want to be the guy that goes all the way, Lord. I want to be the guy that will talk you down to one if that's the case. And I know somehow in this, this isn't bothering you. This isn't you putting up with me going, Lord, please, one more. Could you bring one more person? Could you give me one more person to share with? Could you save another soul? This is your heart, God. And here's a guy you were parading in Scripture. He gets so much press. This is one of the reasons right here because in the end of it he looks and whether this is because of Lot or because of all the people of Sodom, in the end of it all, there's just this guy that just looks at you, Lord, and he says, God, I know you're not going to destroy the righteous. That doesn't make sense. And God, I just pray for us that you keep us from being apathetic just chair sitters, benchers, Call us to the field. And God, here we are at the moment in the locker room. The X's and O's are being drawn on the wall. And, and where we're looking at it and we're seeing the plays, we've, we've got the playbook in our hands. We're seeking you as our coach. And God, I just don't want to walk out these doors and go, all right, let's take the seats. It makes no sense. The seats are for the unbelievers to be jealous that they'd want to be on the field with us. That they would crave that. That they would want that. So God, don't let us be people who who the one thing that gets exercised is our rear end. Lord, instead of our legs for walking, where you where you lead us, and our hands to get dirty upon the lives of human beings you call us to be involved with, and our mouths that we would speak your praise and the power of the gospel, and our minds that they'd be so chock full of scripture. That the, the wisdom of eternity would pour forth out of our mouths so that you would make it that fatal cubit into our hearts as you tell us out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. So God, fill us to overflowing so that when we open our mouth, great stuff comes out, so great that we go, ooh, that was good. That we could even find ourselves, strangely enough, ministered to by ourselves as you used us. And Lord, I pray right now against any apathy or an indifference or even worse yet, bitterness and angst and just that condemning spirit that just wants everyone to go to hell. And I thank you, Lord, so much that you didn't send me to hell. That you reached down into my toilet and you pulled me out when I had nothing to offer you but surrender. And God, I just pray for every person in here today. That we would be gapstanders. That we would remember, Lord, that not only do you have the dominion, but you have the desire. You desire to see all men. You tell us that you desire all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And I believe you do. But I also believe you're not going to force anyone into heaven. But God, I pray as you call us to be your ambassadors, and we would be about our dad's business, seeking the lost and delivering the gospel, but also that we would be loving on each other the way You call us to. That the world would see people who genuinely love each other the way that they, would, that they would expect Christians to behave if they were actually Christians. And that You make us the evidence You ordained for us to be. And finally, Lord, in this room right now, if there be any or many who have yet to say yes to Your gospel, Jesus, Your death on the cross for their guilt, your resurrection to offer them new life and innocence at your lordship, then I pray right now your Holy Spirit would convince them of that need. And if that's you or today you just want to rededicate your life to him, I just want to pray this prayer. And at the end of it all, as you listen, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And it's simply this, God I, in God in heaven, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I've done that which has made me guilty. And I, therefore, my guilt deserves to be punished. But I believe that you love me so much That you punished my guilt on your cross. On the cross of your only begotten son, Jesus the Christ. And that he died on the cross for me. Just as you ordained. So that all my guilt could be paid for. And that he rose again to offer me new life. And I say yes to this new life. And I praise you. And I thank you for giving me that. And so I say yes. Jesus, be my payment. Jesus, be my purchaser. Jesus, be my innocence, be my life and be my Lord and my ransom as I surrender to you now. And God, the Father, adopt me as you promised to that I would be yours and make me the evidence you call me to be. In Jesus name, use me to change the world. I'm yours and available. Amen.